wanna give love to the city, that's a fact. But you're gonna need help if you wanna make an impact. Well endowed, you want to be well endowed with the Edmonton community. Things really happen when you find that you're well endowed. Hi everyone, welcome to the Well Endowed Podcast. I'm Andrew Paul. And I'm Elizabeth Bonkig. This podcast is brought to you by Edmonton Community Foundation, and we are a proud affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Edmonton is full of generous donors who have created endowment funds at ECF. These funds generate money to support charities in Edmonton and beyond. On this podcast, we share stories about how these funds help strengthen our community, because it's good to be well-endowed. On this episode, Julian Fade returns to present Part 5 of Trailheads, a history of urban planning in Edmonton. In part five, Julian explores the challenges of urban design in a winter city. In the first half of the episode, we'll hear from Jill Robertson, a landscape architect and principal at Dialogues Edmonton Urban Design Studio. Robertson will help us understand urban design through the lens of accessibility, which is a major issue in a city like Edmonton, where winter is an ever-looming challenge. In the second half of the episode, Julian is joined by Dr. Robin Mazumder, an environmental neuroscientist who studies the psychological impacts of urban design. Dr. Mazumder will discuss how design choices, particularly in extreme climates, impact our mental health. We hope you enjoy this episode. Over to you, Julian. What makes a city beautiful? If you think about the most beautiful cities in the world, you'll likely end up picturing a city that's really old. Prague, Madrid, Porto, Florence. But What is it about those cobblestone streets, the uniform architecture, the vast public spaces that give us postcard-worthy memories from our vacations of the past? There's something about the streets that are alive in those cities. Shops and cafes teeming with life, pedestrians and cyclists performing an improvised choreography, friends and family go hand in hand as they all go about their daily lives. These old cities seem to have no shortage of these types of streets, yet Newer cities, cities like Edmonton, struggle to build streets with such organic life and vibrance. Why is that? Aren't we meant to be better at building things than we were a thousand years ago? Now, we've been talking about issues of urban planning during this series, but this episode will get a bit more granular. We're going to discuss urban design. It can be hard to differentiate between urban design and urban planning, but the answer is in some ways very simple. It's a matter of scale. Planners put in place the policies, bylaws, and zoning regulations that designers then use to create public spaces that adhere to those rules. They look through a slightly different lens with the same focus, the areas people call home. Most importantly, it's the places in which we all interact, the public spaces we bump into each other, people watch and gather as groups, or at least used to. Parks, streets, plazas, areas with public art, nature, and benches. But my explanation won't give a full understanding that urban design deserves. So I spoke to someone who designs these spaces for a living. My name is Jill Robertson. I am a landscape architect and a principal at Dialogue in the Edmonton studio. And my work really revolves around the design of the public realm. So anything that is outside a building. I asked Jill to unpack urban design and give me a better idea of its importance in our daily lives as urban dwellers.
urban design is, is really interesting. It is also really interested in the design of the public realm. It predominantly focuses on cities, but not necessarily. And that's where you see that word urban. But again, it's really about the design of outdoor spaces or things that aren't buildings. And I think it's interesting because it sits at the crossroads of a bunch of different disciplines, landscape architecture, architecture, urban planning. So it's really a way that we shape our cities through design. If you've spent any time wandering through Edmonton, you'll know we have some beautiful spaces that people inherently want to be in. The Victoria Promenade, Horlock Park, the Ledge Grounds. But we also have plenty of spaces that are void of any design that makes people feel welcome. I'm looking at you, Jasper Ave. But what are some of the historic and geographical factors that have given Edmonton the design it has today? Edmonton has a, been influenced by a number of factors in its evolution. The fact that it's located near the river, it was the traditional meeting place of many indigenous groups long before sort of modern civilization or the modern city that we know of. And then it really evolved similar to many Western Canadian cities because there weren't a lot of geographic barriers to its growth. And, and that's really influenced the kind of classic layout of the city that we see today. I think that from an architectural standpoint and an urban design standpoint specifically, Edmonton is a really young city, especially amongst Canadian cities. When you look at somewhere like Toronto or Montreal or Halifax, where the urban fabric of the city is hundreds of years old, Edmonton is, is young. We're growing. We're evolving in our design culture. And that's what I think makes Edmonton a really interesting city for urban design. Edmonton has plenty of spaces for more interesting places. Additions like the one Jill and her team designed called the Mechanized River Valley Access Project, aka the Funicular. Now a fixture on the downtown skyline for many spots in the city, this project was to allow everyone, regardless of age or ability, better access to our incredible River Valley. The Mechanized River Valley Access Project is really interesting because it was very much originally envisioned as a piece of infrastructure, a way to get people from point A to point B. Edmonton is known for our river valley. It's one of the most dramatic, interesting, natural features of our city, but so many Edmontonians have never been able to access it uh, except by car because of the significant grade changes. So when it was originally thought about, this was a way to help people who had mobility restrictions get from downtown, which is the top of bank, down to the river's edge. But what became really exciting about this possibility is that the city of Edmonton was able to imagine that this could be more than just a way to get from point A to point B. It could become really an expression of who we are as a city and what we believe in. And I think it's, it's really interesting and it speaks to the power of urban design. So now that it's built, it has become that piece of infrastructure. I've talked to many people who were never able to access the River Valley before it was built. So it does that piece of conveying people from point A to point B. But it's also become a place for people to gather. It's a place where we can come together to celebrate. I have heard stories of people who have gotten engaged at the end of the lookout. I've seen wedding pictures taken there. Um, those are really special moments, but also it's just the everyday when you see people sitting on the urban stair having a cup of coffee 
and chatting or watching the sun go down or getting out literally over the river and being able to see it from a vantage point that you can't see it anywhere else in the city. These are the elements I think that become really transformative and are the pieces of the design that the city has really embraced. It's hard now to find a photo of downtown Edmonton without a picture of, without the view of maximized access in it because it has become that post, part of our postcard identity of our city. But just because it's something that everyone can see doesn't make it something that everyone can easily use. So how do urban designers make sure they're creating equitable and accessible spaces? For me, and this is totally through my lens and my view of my, my own practice as a landscape architect, accessibility falls into two categories. There's the idea of universal accessibility, of creating spaces that are physically accessible for people regardless of any mobility challenges they may have. And that goes beyond just wheelchairs and, and walkers, but also think about strollers or different types of um, ways that people get around now, different modes of transportation. But then I also think about accessibility in terms of the social equity piece. How do we create a space that feels welcoming for everyone in Edmonton, irrespective of, you know, age, race, gender, socioeconomic status. So when we started a design process, we're always thinking about it through both of those lenses. And we all bring a certain bias to our work. So for me, a big part of that is doing public and stakeholder engagement to understand what other people in the community want to see included in their public spaces or how can that design meet their needs. And a lot of the work that we do at Dialogue is going out to meet people on their terms and not just expecting them to come and meet us because again, it's really important to create equity in the conversation. You know, cities that are well-designed meet the need of all of their citizens, not just a few. And so it's really important to understand what those different perspectives are about how the public realm can meet the needs of all Edmontonians. That's kind of that social equity piece. And then there's some just really nuts and bolts pieces like for mechanized access, we designed a custom car for the funicular piece and a custom car for the elevator piece that would accommodate uh, two bicycles with bike trailers. And we just measured out the physical size of those or it accommodates four wheelchairs again. So there's, you know, thinking about who's going to use them and then what are some of the spatial requirements to make it as barrier-free an experience as possible. As preferences change and plans take shape, Edmonton can begin to look and feel more people-friendly. But there will always be a constant looming threat over any outdoor space situated this far north. Winter. I think historically winter has been this big black mark on Edmonton. Like, oh, it's winter, so we can't do certain things. And again, I think recently with the launch of the Winter City Design Guidelines, there's been a lot more interest and understanding for the fact that we can design our city for winter and still be active and outdoors and have vibrancy in spite of the winter conditions. And I think that's really important because winters in Edmonton can be really long. 
you know, if it's dark at four o'clock for three months, lighting becomes really important. If we want to be outside sitting in public spaces, you know, in the winter sunlight can often feel quite warm, but the air is cold. So suddenly if you're sitting on a wood bench, it's a lot more inviting to sit outside and linger than if it were a steel bench. The addition of color, these are all things that encourage us to be outside. And that's going to be really important heading into this winter where the whole issue around social distancing and COVID has changed our ability to gather indoors. And so I think we're going to see this continued interest and engagement for being outside. Edmonton is a young city relative to the rest of the world, but also to those who live here. One in four Edmontonians are part of the millennial generation. So with a new plan having just been approved and that young demographic and its shifting preferences, Jill sees incredible potential for this northern outpost. I think it's the moment that we find ourselves in time and not just the pandemic, but that's certainly a big part of it. But in, in terms of its planning, we have a new city plan that's being launched. We're going through a zoning bylaw renew, renewal. So we're really imagining what does our city want to be for the next 50, 100 years. But also there's a number of different factors and policies that are shaping how the city is growing. So there's an increasing interest in densification in living in the downtown. At the same time, the airport has closed. So now we can build tall buildings in our downtown, which when we had a municipal airport, really restricted that development. So we're seeing the patterns of how we live in a city changing, and that's influencing the urban design. Lots of younger people, not just younger people, but specifically millennials and uh, Gen Z, don't want to have a car. They want to have a walkable lifestyle. So that is also pulling people into neighborhoods like Oliver in the downtown and leading to increases in density and then all of the amenities and lifestyle attributes that go with that. The spaces between buildings are more than just filler for cities. They, in essence, are the city. The areas we know and the areas we love. The places we meet up with people. The parts of our city we take lunch breaks in. When these places look good, we want to spend more time in them and more time around them. When they look good and function well, they can also make us feel better. I think urban design really shapes many aspects of how we create outdoor spaces. So not only from the use of materials in the benches or site furnishings that we think about, but where are they located? Uh, We often look at patterns of sun and do shadow studies to locate elements of any particular design in areas of sun or areas of shade. You know, we think about the microclimate, especially around designing for the shoulder season. So if somewhere is sunny in the spring and fall and protected from the wind, that'll encourage people to sit outdoors a lot longer. The use of colors and uh, thermal heat gain, again, is really important. So somewhere that is a darker color will feel warmer in colder months because it's going to hold on to more of that heat. But then so much of Edmonton on the ground plane is gray when you get that dirty snow. So how do you combat that with color? There's all sorts of different considerations that urban designers and landscape architects and architects are thinking about when we're imagining what outdoor spaces are going to look like. Now, a contrarian might look at urban design and think this is a waste of time. They might 
See, design is frivolous and unnecessary while we still have potholes to fill and roads to clear of snow. But the reality is good design makes a tangible, measurable difference in the lives of Edmontonians. Oh, design is so important. It, it's not just about creating something beautiful, but beauty matters. Uh, it's about the contribution of, of art. You know, people feel better. When we think about mental health and well-being, not, not all of that is tied to diet and exercise. It's about being able to enjoy yourself, to take pleasure in what you do. A lot of our work is around spaces of socialization. So creating those spaces where you can go out and meet a friend for coffee, even if it's a socially distant coffee, contributes to the health and vitality of the people that live in our city. So, you know, just it may seem like a bench to someone else that is instead of a pothole, but really it's creating a space for people to be happy in their city. And there's been a lot of writing and research about how design actually has the power to make people feel happier and be healthier. And that translates into longer lifespans, lower healthcare costs, all of these wonderful things. I wanted to know more about how these spaces make people feel and what their measured effects might look like. What are the psychological effects of city spaces? For that, I reached out to former Edmonton resident and recent PhD graduate, Robin Mazumder who's on the cutting edge of understanding how cities make us feel. My name is Robin Mazumder. Uh, I'm an environmental neuroscientist. Using VR and wearable technology, he studied people's neurological reactions to being in the presence of large buildings. But for Robin, the importance of design in our cities and our comfort in those cities goes well beyond how those specific spaces make us feel or how they look. He sees better urban design as a catalyst for societal change. my PhD at the University of Waterloo, where I studied the psychological impacts of urban design. And to do that, I would use sophisticated wearable technology uh, that measured your physiological responses, as well as virtual reality, to put people in urban environments that we had more experimental control over. And my dissertation focused on how being in the presence of skyscrapers made people feel, and the verdict, uh, very briefly, is that it makes people uncomfortable. And so discomfort is something that I'm really interested in, because I see discomfort as an impediment to our ability to connect with each other. And when we look at what's happening with cities and countries and political division and social division, we're trying to address this in a way sometimes that is more symptom management than getting to the actual cause. And I think if we design environments that are facilitating for people's growth, then we'll get the societal change that we need. Like Jill, Dr. Mazumder has also thought through the intersection of equity and winter cities. We all know that the short days, long nights, and cold winds can take a toll on us mentally. But winter can also suddenly turn a place for everyone into a place for only those that are able to navigate the packed snow and ice and windrows towering over once accessible curb cuts. So that speaks to this notion of winter having some effect on our mental health. And we have to have an honest conversation about that because I think it's minimizing to tell people just to be happy in the winter. Have you ever like been sad? So like, why don't you just be happy? It's like gaslighting. It's neg it's it's negating behavior. It's ridiculous. So when you have an honest conversation about what winter does to your well-being, then you can have a conversation about ways that you can address it. And that's where the joy comes in because you know within all these like ancient traditions and like wisdom traditions, like 
acceptance is the foundation to like liberation. And if you accept as a winter city, the qualities that people want to talk about, which was the same thing for the human being, like you can then find joy. I worked with, I, I worked with people with physical disabilities who were terrified of leaving their houses in the winter. And this isn't an Edmonton problem. That was happening in Kitchener when I was there. I was writing blog post after blog post and like, it's this big conversation. You know, every city has its challenges, but sidewalk snow clearance, man, like to all my politician friends, just do it. You know, because we're, when you're debating whether sidewalks should be cleared, you're debating human rights. And that's already been debated. But fundamentally, you were denying dignity to the people who needed the most. So think about that. Dr. Mazumder is now consulting with the city of Edmonton and using a new lens he called experiential equity to look at zoning and bylaw renewal. The concept aims to unpack how these rules and guidelines affect the lived experiences of different residents in Edmonton, depending on their race, ability, and socioeconomic status. Robin sees the renewal process that includes experiential equity as an important piece in seeing Edmonton become a place for everyone. The zoning renewal bylaw, they're renewing it because then it allows for equity to be built into the policy. And some people might be like, that's boring, but if you know anything about redlining in the United States, where black families were excluded from buying houses in particular particular neighborhoods, right? You're like, you're concentrating marginalized and oppressed people in one area who are stressed out from racism and all the other stuff that comes from this patriarchal system that like people have created for us to live in. Zoning informs how things are built, how things are built to our environments, and our environments informs how we feel and function to the extent that some people do bad things that we don't like when they're put in a circumstance that is overwhelming for them. How our spaces look, feel, and function matter to the health and well-being of every person in the city. But it can sometimes be hard to get those in power to understand the effects an inhospitable environment can have on people. So how can we get those decision makers to better understand that? Dr. Mazumder has a potential solution. And it won't take donning a VR helmet to figure it out. Just a bike helmet. I do. I use neuroscience to understand the human experience because it helps me understand how these things affect people. But like, get a guy to ride a like a politician ride a bike like down a road uh, with four lane traffic. Get him to do that for like twenty minutes a day for a week, and then tell him to take his car away. And until he changes the policy, he's stuck on his bike. Stuff would move quickly, man. So it's about empathy. It's about putting yourself in other people's shoes. Urban design is the pursuit of making better places for people. Healthy, connected, equitable, and resilient spaces that make people happy and allow them to access the many opportunities the city has to offer. So next time you're out for a walk, look around. Take in your surroundings and ask yourself, does this space make me feel happy? If the answer is yes, spend more time there. It's good for your health. On the final episode, we'll be looking to the future of planning in Edmonton. What's next? Where are we going? And how will we get there? Thanks for listening to Trailheads. We'll see you next time. Thanks very much to Jill Robertson and Dr. Robin Mazumder for sharing their time with us. And many thanks to Julian Fade for bringing us this story. Stay tuned for the final chapter of Trailheads in our next episode. While you're waiting for the next episode to drop, head on over to ecfoundation.org to see what's been happening at Edmonton Community Foundation. Also, be sure to check our show notes for links to a ton of research material we have used for this episode. Well, friends, that brings us to the end of the show. And thanks so much for sharing your time with us. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, be sure to share it with your friends and family. 
And don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Those reviews help new listeners find us. And you can visit us on Facebook where you can share your thoughts and see some pictures from the podcast. Thanks again for tuning in. We've been your hosts, Andrew Paul. And Elizabeth Blonkink. Until next next time. time. The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation. And edited by Lisa Pruden. You can visit our website at wellendowedpodcast.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And follow us on Twitter at BECF. Our theme music was created by Octavo Productions. Check them out at octavoproductions.com. And as always, don't forget to visit Edmonton Community Foundation at ecfoundation.org. Well Endowed.